Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Greetings, nerds. This is Cena Nerd. I'm your host, Sarah Beaumont, and with me, as always, is our Mr. Producer, Will Polk. How are you doing today, Will? I'm doing very well, Sarah, but I think I saw the devil running to the store to get an air conditioner. The devil? Yeah. <laughs> what? Is this some kind of southern yeah. analogy or something? What do yeah. you mean? Yeah, it's just, it's just like... So, summer is here in North Carolina. It's uh, Central North Carolina. It's like it's a very warm day today. Very hot day, actually. So, uh, I, yeah. I don't. I don't think the heat brings out the best in you, Will. It because doesn't. Earlier this week, you sent me one of the best DM messages I think you ever have sent me, and all it said was, <laughs> it was a, it was um, one of those subtweets of Christian Harloff's review of Aladdin, and you're just like, do you think he's a Disney shill? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, wow, where is all the shade coming from? <laughs> Uh, well, it, you know, I, and it's, it's funny. Yeah. Speaking of Aladdin, it, it seems like it's had a, a pretty solid opening weekend. And, um, and my kids are like, especially were like, Oh, we, we need to go see this. But I cut that off. There's, there was a, one of the local theaters had, uh, re- retro weekend for Star Wars Day and they're showing all the original trilogy and also mm-hmm. the the prequels and uh so i was like hey let, y'all let's go see star wars tonight on the big screen you haven't seen it on the big screen a new hope so I, that was my way of uh not of getting out of a latin but uh <laughs> <laughs> you just don't want to see it i i don't know i i run hot and cold on it but yeah i getting back to the uh harloff thing i you know i, I listened to his comments on on collider live and mm-hmm. and uh i i yeah, you know, it's one of those dad things. Uh, you know, I think his daughter really liked it, and I think he liked it too. I know Roxy was like, "Oh, it's a perfect film," but uh, we'll see. I, you know, I may go check it out. It's it's one of those things that so far it seems that whenever Disney has adapted the cartoon to live action, it's been mixed results. Um, and so, but I will try to keep an open mind. I think it's probably more issue of Will Smith being a genie. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, ding. There you go. There you go. But truth be told, that's that's really the issue. But it looks like it might be a fun film. So I'll, I'll take one for the team and probably go check it out. I just, I mean, I was looking at it too, and I'll be honest, I was, I was surprised because there were some early showings here for it. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, I could go that, but I could also go see Endgame again and <laughs> Like and I like Infinity War more than Endgame, and I'm still like oh, I could go see Endgame one more time. Yeah, yeah. There, there's just something about it where 
where I think you're, you hit it when you said these kind of movies keep getting mixed reviews. Some hit and work and some don't. And I, I'm placing my bet, my money more on Lion King being a hit than Aladdin. Aladdin, I can wait. I can, I can wait for it. I don't need to see it on the big, big screen because I'll be honest, the big blue genie guy who looks like Will Smith, I don't want to see that on the big screen. (laughs) I, I think the smaller screen might be more conducive for that. Uh, I think so. I think so. (laughs) Speaking of Endgame, I see, uh, it's, it's, keeps on crawling, uh, towards, uh, well, it, well, relatively crawling. It's, uh, Mm -hmm. it, it's crossed 800 million domestically and, Mm -hmm. um, it's getting closer and closer to that 2.7. Yeah, it's at 2.6 something right now. And I, I can tell you this is the first time where I've actually been obsessed with watching a box office. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want it to pass it so bad. Yeah, me <laughs> I'm too. Just, I'm just, and that's probably why I'm like, you guys need to stop talking about Aladdin. Okay. We have a much more important task at hand that everyone should be contributing to. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I still. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I still gotta, I got to contribute my, my additional dollars to helping it break the record for, uh, Avatar. But, uh, it's, I was reading an article in Forbes today as it's prepping for our show and they were making a point that, uh, Endgame may not cross, uh, Force Awakens as far as, uh, 900 million as, as far as domestic yeah. and, uh, and, and for obvious reasons, I mean, Force Awakens was released at Christmas, which is always a, a big time. And the other big obvious reason is we haven't had a good Star Wars film in forever. So uh, a lot of people obviously had that uh, excitement with uh, with Force Awakens. But, yeah, Endgame, I, it, it may make it. I, I think it would probably have another another big push right before Star uh, Spider-Man comes out. Yeah. And yeah. and they'll probably do another little push towards the end of summer, and so it, it, it may be later this summer when it happens instead of where it looked like it was going to cross it before the end of May. But um, it's uh, yeah, I, I do think it's still probably cross Avatar, which you know, and Disney has the best of all possible worlds because they own this property and they own Avatar. So when they release them in the future, it's going to do probably as well. And I, but you're right. This probably is the first time I've really gotten like really swept up in uh, the, how much a film is making. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I still recall conversations about 300 mil being impossible, and then it it did 350 in opening weekend. So. It just it just shows that yes, this if it's ever gonna happen, it's gonna be with this movie. Yeah, but <laughs> but it, <laughs> but, it, but it won't it won't be Sonic. Just see where uh, see where they pushed the release date back for it because of the outcry over the teeth. Oh no, I I didn't I didn't I haven't been paying attention to that all, at all. I didn't even watch the first trailer. Well, the first trailer was one that really got the. Uh, Drove the ire of the fans because they're like his teeth aren't right. So Paramount basically uh, caved and said, "We we hear you, and we are going to push the release date back so we can get Sonic right." Well, you know, the, you got to do what you got to do with those kind of movies. It's a, it's interesting though how 
movie news has become a um, often where release dates change, reshoots occur, the, and people are are attributing that to the quality of the film. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where we're going with this. You brought up Sonic, so you got to get us out of Sonic because I got <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I'm so not interested in that. Yeah, well, maybe maybe you can maybe you can like. Whenever it comes out, you can be a verified user on Rotten Tomatoes with their updated their, their rating system. Yeah, I'm not even verified on Twitter. I doubt they'll ever verify <laughs> me. On ah, so check video. this out. So I guess because of all the like shade and bogus reviews that people were giving, especially with Captain Marvel and other films, uh, Rotten Tomatoes decided to uh, come up with a system so that before you can like give your review, you can, you have to like basically use the email address that you bought your ticket online and then you can then give a verified review. So basically you're trying to stamp down all the, the, the hate reviews that Panties Bunch fanboys are like getting their wide over, over certain films. So yeah, so that's what their, their way of doing it. They'll still have their old system where people can, Still see the unverified reviews, but this is just a way to try to tap out the fan, the negative fanboys. I I don't know really what to make of that because I understand why, but I also, for me personally, I don't like movie reviews in that sense. I'm I'm on the I'm on the side where I think movies because of what they are you get the best conversations when when people who have seen the same thing discuss it and you get the insights and the takeaways and that's really the value the whole like well this reviewer said it was a good movie so i'm gonna go see it i don't really follow that because personally i i'm spoiler cautious mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so yeah even if a good, like somebody says, oh, it's a good movie, go see it. I'm like, spoiler alert. Yep, yep. <laughs> I don't know I mean, why. Afraid, yeah, I know you were afraid to watch Collider this week because you were afraid the, when they were talking about the Vanity Fair article on Star Wars. I know, so I get you, I get you. <laughs> and, and it broke my heart because Kristen thinks that Poe and Ray are going to end up together. And I'm like, that's not the fan fiction I'm reading. <laughs> it's just, stop putting it out there. <laughs> um but it's it's just because it also sets you i think it's more that i'm i'm more sensitive with my expectations about something so if like when you and pete were going on about aquaman i was prepared for a movie that would be completely different than what i saw in the trailer and when i watched it i'm like guys this is a trailer I had no interest in <laughs> So, of course, like, suddenly my expectations, like, I'm a bit disappointed. Right, right. And, and I think you, you even do that when you're a movie reviewer. And, and so I don't, I don't like the non-spoiler reviews. I don't, I don't like them. I don't think it discredits a movie because in the end, did you go see that movie, even though they may have put something like negative? Probably you did. And you're just mad because it doesn't have a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Like what? Who cares? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, like Black Panther didn't. Did you see how many Academy Awards it won? Exactly. Yeah. Like, like nobody in the end, it shouldn't matter. And you know what? 
for the producers who kind of look to that as like a gauge. Well, if it's a shitty movie, it doesn't matter if people go to it or if they don't go to it because all of the buzz is going to be negative because it's a bad movie. Yeah, yeah. It'll take care of itself. Yeah, so, I mean, if they – it, it makes sense. However, I just know from my viewing preferences, I've never gauged it by like what it says on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you, and uh, it's been it's interesting how Rotten Tomatoes sort of became like the barometer for for films and TV shows to begin with. It just or, or, and maybe it's just because of the age of the internet and that kind of thing. But it, it's all of a sudden all of a Tomatoes was like the almost like end all be all for uh, audience and critical uh, response to, to 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 things and you know and and so it's I guess, I guess they're a victim of their own success because now they're having to do these uh, fixes to, to to try not to uh, create stories about how good or bad a film is or or ancillary things about them. Yeah, and I mean, to that point, I also think if you want to know what to watch, Twitter is a better barometer. Like, and last week we had a big discussion on Twitter and all of the trolls and the hatred that's spewed from that. But on the flip side, you on your timeline, you are following people who generally have the same perspective worldview that you do. So if they say they're watching something and that you haven't watched before, most likely it's probably something you want to check out because you'll nine times out of 10, that'll become your new obsession. Yep. I mean, that's how I find new shows to watch and everything. I binge watched Barry this weekend. Barry, by the way, it's brilliant. Everybody should watch it. Really easy binge season two, just make it through season one because season two it's, it's perfect. Note it, note it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, now let's get into our shows and why we re- really are here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we haven't done a new we haven't done a new thing in a while, so it's just good to catch up on some of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I always like it when we talk about that kind of stuff, and hopefully in the near near future we'll have time to do a full show about upcoming movie and TV shows of the second half. Yes, I know we're already at that almost at that midway point through the year, um, but it's coming. And for now, though, we have some things to tie up, including Doom Patrol, which aired its series finale this past week. It's over 15 episodes and done 15 and done. There might be a season two, though. So uh, hopefully there is a season two. But uh, if DC decides not to renew it, what a hell of a season this was. If DC decides not to renew Doom Patrol and it renewed Teen Titans, I may just be done with DC. (laughs) Because that is some BS. That would be some BS. Yes, yes. This series is far superior than whatever that was. Yeah, way superior. I mean, I I was just, when I was prepping, I was just thinking about how, um, this bottom line of Fred, how this, how organic and how natural they built a family and a team in this, in this series. And that's really what stood out for me with, uh, with Doom Patrol is versus Titans. It was 
at the end of the day, how they set this up and how they, they, with this finale, it's interesting how they use the series finale to show how Niles basically predestined the outcomes for, for all the members of the team to, to his benefit, of course, but in a way that, um, all the things we've watched in the previous 14 episodes stayed true to itself and, tr- and stayed true to how, how, how you can do a, a superhero show in a way, in a good way and, and build a universe without, with, with some very not so well known characters. Yeah. It's, I mean, um, Doom Patrol, Jane Patrol is probably my favorite episode of TV so far this season or yeah, this year. Yeah. Um, because I think it's perfection and it's still, when I think of the series, I immediately go to certain images from that episode because it just struck me so hard. And, um, and we're, we've been watching a lot of good TV lately. I mean, besides the Arrowverse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so shade. So, so it's, it tells me something. Um, I will say though, in the series finale, you, we did not need to see a rat and a cockroach make out. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I did not sign up for rat and cockroach action. That was just. Yeah, I thought of you when I saw whenever I was watching the finale because I was just like, oh, what do I Sarah making out of Admiral Whiskers and Ezekiel the cockroach right at this moment? <laughs> I'm thinking too far. I'm like, mm, no, like, uh, oh God, they went there. They did that. There, there's somebody in that writer's room who came up with that scene as well as the butt scene. And like, yeah. there's, and, and it's, and it's funny because as odd as it is, I think like the, the scene with the butts being released in the farm yeah. and a few other scenes, that's why even though it was disturbing, I'm like, this makes sense in terms of the universe they've set up. It totally, it totally, and they and they set it up way back in episodes one and two with the farting donkey. <laughs> yeah, I mean the fact that they all come out of the cockroach in the end. I yeah. was like, yeah, I mean the show started with them all getting trapped inside of a an albino donkey. Of course, it's going to end with them coming out the out of a cockroach. Yeah. So so it just comes full circle. Like there's something genuine about that as opposed to foreseeing things happen and i mean to go back to your point about them building a family much more so than titans did i think it's because none of these characters tried to play like the main hero it was um, all of their stories together and of course we all have our favorites but at the end of the day, this show isn't about one of them over the other. It's about all of them together and how they do take care of each other. Like, I like how there's the reveal about Niles and what his true motivations were. And yet, even though they all want their separate ways, you still have Larry and Rita together. Because those two, there is something about each other that they need. They, they, they can, they're the only ones they can really be honest with. They, they they understand the flaws. They understand why each other hides so much from the world. And so they get each other. So they're still living their life together. 
and that scene where Jane is all strung out in her vehicle mm-hmm. and Cliff comes and drops off food. I'm like, classic. Classic, yeah. He's such to quote you, he's such a dad. <laughs> he, he, he's he's so funny because he he even does the whole I'm gonna place it right here and then I'm gonna back away slowly. Yep. <laughs> yep. Sudden movement. Yep. <laughs> and I, I like how he didn't want to do this final mission. Right. And yet the moment Jane says, yes, let's do this, he switches. He switches, yeah. He does switch. And I, and I think that's what I really loved about Cliff and Jane's dynamic all season. It was, you know, there was that father-daughter. He, he saw that. And, and he played it forward with, with Niles and his true motivations for why he assembled these individuals to begin with, which was to try to, to, to find his, his daughter and, and, and Cliff just in vintage Cliff F-bomb form was just like, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not, you know, if you could turn back, build a you know time machine and give me my 30 years back for all the, you know, crap you've put me through. But then, as you said, but Jane just like, Really, it's the evolution of her character and and where she was, and and especially as you mentioned, Jane Patrol and the things that came that she learned about herself that kind of, that came out of that episode and making some, I guess, through the opiate addiction that she had, and, and whenever they all went their separate ways, making some kind of peace with the underground mm-hmm. and coming forward with, look. I was a wreck before this man, and even though I still don't trust him, I do have, I do owe something to him, not because I am doing it because I like him, but because he's made me, because of this journey, I've been, I'm now a better person than I was before we started. Yeah, I like that line when she she's in the underground and everybody's um in their days and one of the one of the um personalities says to her this isn't healing mm-hmm. and i think that's what niles yeah he he broke everybody but he also allowed everyone to heal mm-hmm. and allow everyone to get put back together again and and I think that is that was just perfect and exactly what the and dealt with what the issue was. I mean, I really liked Rita in this final episode oh, yeah. because for her, she spent so much of the season in shame, mm-hmm. um, blocking out the outside world, not able to look at herself in the mirror. Um, and then when she can walk away from it all, she realizes how much it's given her. And so, yes, Niles may have put her into this situation um, and taken everything away, but he also created this world where she could be the hero and could gain back some of that integrity that she lost all those years ago. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the same, and we could, Larry is another character Mm -hmm. that uh, had that same, that same journey as everyone else did. Uh, but the other thing that really stood out to me was the scene between Niles and Silas Stone when they were having the surgery uh, to uh, help help build Cyborg, and how Niles was trying to say, "Look, 
you know, you had two fathers there basically dealing with a tragic situation and, and you know, now it's trying to say, Silas, you're just like me. And Silas is going back, throwing it back to him. Like, no, I'll, I'm not like you. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm not what I'm doing here for, um, Vic, Vic to, to, to put him whole is, because I, I, I love him and, and I, I, I want the best for him. You're doing it for some selfish purpose. But, but at the same time though, Silas was also doing this for very selfish reasons. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a interesting, especially since we've seen how Silas has treated Vic very protective and, and trying to always shelter him and control him. It, it was a very interesting dynamic to see Silas and, and, and Niles talk about that because where Niles definitely was a was a jerk and had his had his issues, Silas also has issues as well and 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 not allowing Vic to be free and always to try to micromanage him and so it was it was it was a it was a good moment and I and I came out of that scene. Uh, Having sympathy for both for both men because they're both flawed in their approaches and their their motivations for doing things, you know, Silas in Vic's case and Niles and, and building the Doom Patrol. Well, I think what this show does very well is is puts all of the flaws in each one of these characters under a microscope. Mm-hmm. And n- being a hero doesn't mean you're perfect. Mm-hmm or being a good person or being able to save the world or save each other, protect one another. Like you're going to be, you're, you're somewhat always going to be selfishly motivated. Yeah. Yeah. With a lot of your actions, because often, I mean, look at Superman and Lois Lane. Mm -hmm. Like he, at the end of the day, Clark really just wants to save Lois. She just happens to always find herself in, put in that place where it's either where she's, on, they're on the brink of destroying the world, and if you save Lois Lane, then you save the day. Yeah. But it, there is some selfish motivation there. It's not about the world. It's about one person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Yeah, I was uh, reading an article about uh, the showrunner, uh, Jeremy Carver, and you know we were talking a lot about character and everything, mm-hmm. and, and thinking back to when you bring up Lois and, Lois and Clark, uh, one of the things that stands out to me with the show. One of the things that he said that he learned from his time working on Supernatural is to make sure characters stay true to themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's one of the, other, that's one of the things that this series did uh, throughout the first season, which was these characters from, from day one, even through their evolution and, and working through their various problems, stay true to who they, who they were. And there was some genuineness to that. So even though, because of what Niles being the cause of all the all the accidents that befell each one of these individuals, we still, despite all that flaws and all, they kept them. They they kept they they learned how to deal with those flaws in their personalities and yet still remain true to who they are. And Larry making peace with negative energy guy and Rita, you know, being cool with Elastigirl, even though it was very heartbreaking with the way that 13 year old like 
crushed her. And but Larry, you know, I guess, but Larry being there to help her, you know, look, don't don't let that tear you apart. You've come through so much, and and so uh, Cliff and Jane's their relationship, and um, and and also how Rita, because of what all she's been through, was able to have empathy for Mister Nobody when mm-hmm. they were wearing Danny the street, and when nobody was on the verge of a breakdown, especially given that he was betrayed by a, a rat and a roach. <laughs> and, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, they they brought back Admiral yeah. Whis- Whiskers, of yeah. course, yeah. <laughs> who 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 ends up eating Cliff, which yeah. was pretty funny. And then Cliff was like, I don't oh, deserve this. I don't deserve this. I'm not going to die in a fucking rat. <laughs> no, 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 you're no. just going to go through a much more yeah. scarring experience. So just wait a few scenes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I think the flaw was Mr. Nobody could have spilled the secret very early on in <clears> this, in the season. Um, but first he wanted to capture Niles and and make these people like feel like they cannot be anything without Niles. Mm-hmm. And instead they went on this journey where they figured out who they were without Niles. So I think had he given give shared this secret with them um in episode one, it would have been much more life shattering than it was um at the time that it did get exposed because by that point they were already formed their identity without Niles mm-hmm. even though they still need him because he is that like piece that connects them all together and he's just as flawed as they are it's still they they're much different people than they they are now than they were yeah yeah definitely definitely and and yeah, and, and Rita being the one who actually was able to provide some comfort and empathy towards nobody in the cabaret lounge and Danny the Street uh, got him able to, fit, to become the, the narrator again and, and to uh, not only uh, help the team defeat Ezekiel and Admiral Whiskers, but uh, which again, every time I see it, uh, I talk of Ezekiel, mention Ezekiel and Admiral Whiskers, I, I, I feel like I need to go flush out my eyes <laughs> with that. It just didn't need to happen. It didn't yeah. need like Rita should have been narrating that crap, not yeah. stupid nobody who made it happen. Yeah. Um. And it, okay. And really, the show, this episode, is not about Ezekiel. Even though it's called Ezekiel Patrol or Admiral Whiskers or Mr. Nobody. Not, it's really about Niles and what he's also doing for his daughter, mm-hmm. uh, who we turn, who turns out to be Dorothy Spinner. Yep. Who is a character who has been a former member of Doom Patrol and she has the ability to bring imaginary beings to life. Right, right. Which is, if we do get a second season, uh, at least in the comic books, it she used that power with the uh, with the candle maker who was the villain. 
which uh, causes all kinds of havoc in, in the comics, even even to the point where where Nels even gets killed uh, by um, by the candle maker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so they, they, it's it's interesting how they set us up for a second season, but if the show doesn't get renewed, it does feel like they concluded the story they wanted to tell in the first season. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a very strong way. I mean, this series, uh, whenever I've been able to, when people are like, Oh, what's a, what's a good show, especially some of our Arrowverse fans to, to watch now that the summer's here and hiatus is here. I'm like, go watch Doom Patrol. If you want to watch good storytelling, good characterization, good characters saying true to themselves, which all, you know, I'm thinking of all the things folks complain about our Arrowverse shows. Then this this is the elixir to to, to wash a palate of of that uh, if you're if you're kind of frustrated with them right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I agree with that. I it is different. It's it's familiar, but it's different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I was gonna say, and it, but but it, but again, it just stays true to itself. All these things that happen that in the series. The absurdity, the absurd humor, the laugh out loud moments, the, the characterization, the, the Mr. Nobody being like uber meta. I mean, it, it's all like true to itself. And that's why it's one has been refreshing to watch this show this, this season as Beth to become my favorite one of 2019 so far. And, um, and, and also why it's been superior to Titans. That was the first uh, show that was rolled out uh, on on the, the, this platform, and it'll be interesting to see if they learned some lessons from. I, I don't know as far as the production timeline uh, between the two shows, but if they if it was being produced around the same time that that Titans was, and and they were able to look at some of the mistakes that Titans made in their freshman run. They, they definitely learned some lessons from from that and constructing the show. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sure that they had similar time frames because we're first introduced to these characters in Titans. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not a perfect season. I do think it's a really strong season of mm-hmm. storytelling. I think mm-hmm. there are some bright moments, but there's also a few episodes. Yeah, yeah. That. I, I could barely make it through. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I, I remember having that discussion with you. I had I had that same around the the fourth or yeah third, fourth, fifth mm-hmm. episodes. They were. I was like, I, I don't know. I'll try to see where this thing is going, but I'm glad I stuck with it. Yeah, it's. I think it's hard, especially when you're watching the first season of a show because it's it's new. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of shows where you've you're on the fourth or fifth season, you've come to just love just because you love the characters. And it's like, regardless of what happened, I'm here because I'm, I'm interested. Um, and the first season, it's all about introducing the characters. So it still feels like you're watching some strangers until you, until you get to that finish line. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's it for doom patrol. Another show we have to talk about today is cloak and dagger season two. It just had a penultimate episode blue note. Mm-hmm. Next, next week is it for this yeah. season. 
Yeah, it's been a fast season, but it's been an enjoyable one. Yeah, I I always I feel like even the first season snuck up on me because it's ten episodes, yeah. so it doesn't get dragged out or anything. They set up, they always seem to set up clear plot lines for Tandy and Tyrone, and you just see it from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I don't even know where to begin with this episode because. A lot has happened since yeah. the last time we talked about it. Yeah, yeah. I know we, we were didn't get a chance to talk about episode eight, um, which uh, had a lot of setup for for this episode. Uh, we learned about uh, Connors being murdered by Adina, and uh, we also started seeing some of the end game with Andre trying to come closer to Godhood with his vivay and everything we learned about Auntie Chantil uh dying and 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 Evita as we as we called right mm-hmm. that uh would be taking her place. Mm-hmm. And Evita marrying Papa Papa uh Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And the video game. Yeah, so there were there was a lot in that episode leading into this one. You got that deeper Realization, I think, between Ty and Tanny, they really realize that they, they they do need to need each other, and all things when it comes to to working together as crime fighters and, and saving New Orleans. So, those are some of the things that stood out to me from episode eight. But this episode really it, it was a backstory for Andre, mm-hmm. and and we get to, we start ninety six months ago. Um, mm-hmm. When we're first introduced to Andre, and he's in the club, and he's he's talking about with his bandmates about hitting that blue note on his trumpet, and that's when the the migraines uh, he has his first one on stage, uh, debilitating, knocks him knocks him out uh, right there in the middle of the performance, and leads to I guess his down the road of despair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, earlier this season, I think they they did a similar episode, but it was about mayhem, mm-hmm. and and it was it was a lot of jumping back and forth, much like this episode, where some scenes were in the past, some scenes were in the present, some yeah. scenes took place in the in the pocket dimension where you where Tandy and Tyrone were learning everything about Andre, and and more importantly about Leah. I mean, mm-hmm. this episode was just as much about Leah as it was yeah. Andre, yeah. Um, because we learned that following his accident, he Leah was the nurse. Yeah, and was, yeah, and he figured out really early on that her pain is would be the cure to his his headaches, and then and then like that that scene where he's convincing her to um, quit her job. And you're just the manipulation that occurs in that it is just brutal because you're like, you know what he's doing. And it's just it's 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 like it's not violent, but it feels very disturbing because of the pure manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. He was the master at manipulating her and and gaslighting her and and really. It, you're right. It was a story about the two of them because she was his first victim, but and and it really gets into a it really touch on it. I don't know if they, they, obviously in our television show you can't deep t- dig too much into it, 
unless they carried out some stretch it out to 11 or 12 episodes or whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, but really get into that, that, that question of victimhood and, and, and even with the showdown between Tandy and, and Mayhem, how much was Leah responsible for what happened? Right. Because much of this episode, you have Tandy wanting to kill Leah because Leah is in her sights, in her presence. Andra is still off. And she, her and Tyrone are trying to track him down. But because Leah is front and center, unconscious, fully vulnerable, mm-hmm. all Tandy can think about is that hotel and her, her forcing her to be that vulnerable too mm-hmm. and putting her in that situation. And, and I don't blame her. Like, Honestly, a lot of us would probably have had the same reaction because when you go through something like that, I mean, for a lot of it, it was from Leah. It wasn't yeah. from Andre. Andre was off doing his own thing. It, it right. came from Leah. Yeah. Um, so I think you're spot on when you're saying like it, it goes into that idea of victimhood because Tandy realizes it through watching the manipulation that occurred to Leah firsthand she understands like yes she she may have done these things years later but it doesn't mean that at one point she wasn't the first victim of andre herself right right yeah so even though she was complicit in his crimes which she clearly is i mean there's there's Mm -hmm. no there's no denying that but but again it's yeah as i said earlier it does get touched on those issues and and Another thing about Andre, too, with these these migraines and just thinking about the show in its larger context of how they take on social issues and those kind of things, it would have been interesting to see why he couldn't get treatment for his his migraines. I mean, was it a situation where, you know, it was they're always bringing up social issues and was it you know, health care? I mean, could he not access it? I mean, it would have been good to have, a, I guess, a deeper understanding beyond just like, oh, I have migraines, so now I'm going to become this despair-seeking individual, uh, to understand a little bit more about his his motivations. Yeah, I I agree, because I also interpreted that scene as he didn't start having those until he tried to have the blue note. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And in that moment, because it was so high and powerful, and he he was even speaking beforehand, like, this is the note that separates the men from the gods. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so something that powerful, like, breaking it is like breaking a barrier and may lead to um, glory, but it could also lead to pain and suffering. So I felt like it was much more of a metaphor for that. Yeah. True. Um, but yeah. but you're you're right. I mean, if the show, I mean, there's pros and cons to short season. The the pro being you can stri- stick to the script and not wander too much. The con is you have less time to get delve really deep into motivations. Yeah, yeah. But but we but to your point, you you, you do raise a good one that and, and answer my question. It's uh, our statement. It's. You know, we go from that 96 months to, I guess, when he tried to commit suicide, it was around, what, 92 months? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It was, it, he, we started before the explosion. Right. And then the explosion happens the night um, he, when he tries to commit suicide. Yeah, which again, which, you know, we talked about earlier this season, 
how it was it was a very parallel tract with with Tandy when she in the season one tried to commit suicide when she was in her lowest points, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, there's, there's the 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 spare character and Tandy have very similar tracks. Yeah. That, that I think I, one of the reasons why I've enjoyed this season so much is because ties that Ty and Tandy are that the, the anchors to one another to keep each other from going too far mm-hmm. with their abilities. And so where, where despair manipulated Leah into basically becoming a supplier for his energy to help him deal with his headaches, uh, in a very un, unhealthy codependent way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ty and Tandy's work together to keep each other in check mm-hmm. and to, to, to keep from going way off too far. Cause you, you know, looking later in the episode when Tandy was like, I we we're going to, I want to do this. We may have to kill Andre. And Ty was like, well, no, if we're going to, if we have to take that ultimate step, we're going to do this together. Right. Right. And and I think he, he knows that most likely they will have to end it. The only way to end this would be to do that. Right. Um, and it, I I honestly think if they don't do that, then there might be some disingenuous about these what they set out to do with this mm-hmm. season and choosing something this hard. Um, because, I mean, the, the, these comics are dark. They're some mm-hmm. of the darker ones out there, and these characters are some of the darker characters with everything that they go through. So I maybe he just ends up in another pocket dimension. Um, but I still, I, I think that, that for Tandy's purposes, she might need something like that to deal with in the third season if there is a third season. Mm-hmm. Um, because much like how we saw Tyrone dealing with Detective Connors, um, the aftermath in this season, Tandy hasn't really had to deal with that that too much. Not too much. I mean, she had to deal with it a little bit, I guess, with season one with the death of the uh, gentleman who was the, the lawyer who was dating her mom, who had all the secrets of Roxanne in his office. But but not but that was not. Directly because of her action, well, a little bit because of her actions, but this would definitely be more so because she was in the heart of Andre and Leah's you know, counseling group, and and we saw the results of that at the end of the episode where uh, where her mother and okay in in the courtyard when Andre was hitting performing the blue note. Yeah, yeah, I I, I forgot about. Melissa this season <laughs> because we haven't seen her in a lot of episodes. No, no, it's just been and well, I think I think it's been okay because a lot of her demons she overcame. Obviously, we saw I guess mid part of this season she did her alcoholism problems reoccurred, and part of that probably was because now Andre and Leah were were. Where before they were kind of, you know, the, the, the support group was keeping a lot of her demons under uh, under control. Now, since that it, that control and manipulation was gone, um, she she fell back into some bad habits. Yeah, I think Tyrone in this episode um, was had an interest served in an interesting purpose. Hmm. Um, 
I, I still, to go back to our discussion about the first episode this season, I don't think that kid is going to be studying for college <laughs> too much longer. I really don't. Yeah. Because in this episode, you saw him. There's a confidence now with the way he moves, mm-hmm. the way he uses his powers. Yeah. And there's a strength in that that I don't think we've seen. And I think it's taken us these past nine episodes to really get that through in Tyrone. I mean, Tandy's always one to quickly draw her dagger, but Tyrone now fully understands what he's able to do with, with his cloak. And I think that's really cool because he also, he, it comes back, it circles back. They allow this whole story arc with Tandy and despair to really circle back to Tyrone dealing with the drug dealers mm-hmm. and having some negotiations, if you yeah. call it that. I, <laughs> I, I think last episode, Will, you pointed out, it's interesting how they always find themselves back at that church. Yeah. Well, Tyrone has claimed the rooftop for himself. Yeah, he has claimed that rooftop. <laughs> that is his meeting ground. Yeah. He's just, it's just really funny how he always winds up going there and bringing people up there to, to tell them how it is. And, and he lays, he lays down the law. And I think it's interesting how he does it because he, he acknowledges the world. In yeah. what he says to them by like, there are people who are going to seek this out. Mm-hmm. Those are your customers. Mm-hmm. But when these drugs are used for manipulation, then we got an issue because there are some people who, who just, just find themselves like being the prey yeah. and that's unfair and unjust. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think I really liked that speech. Yeah. Hopefully this doesn't lead to any kind of deputization. In the future, because no, I don't think so. that is not a vigilante role. No, 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 um, no, no. It's, they're too. They're right. They, they're right. It's too smart. And I'm glad you brought that point up about the rooftop and how Ty has grown and utilized and and how again they pull back. They pull in all the threads because the the, the theme of manipulation and the trafficking and everything does feed into the drug trade and even the drug dealers themselves are like, Oh yeah, but you know, this, if we do what you're talking about, it's going to, you know, it's going to impact the market. And it's like, well, that's too, too bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I mean, this, a lot of it has focused really on Tandy. Um, I think Tyrone has kind of taken a back seat this season, if I'm being honest, even though he has had some really cool arcs, especially yeah. in, with this episode, including him realizing what his mom did to Connors. Yeah. That needs to be explored soon. Yeah. Very, very soon. Very, I think um, they'll, they'll address that in the, thought, the finale, season finale. And if they don't, I'll be very surprised. Well, season finale, season three, there, there's a lot to get into about that because again, I always go back to that scene when he realizes what mayhem is and equates himself to her. Mm-hmm. And, and I really like that because there is something about, there's a naivety to that, mm-hmm. that, that I think is very important. He gained his confidence as a vigilante. I think he still needs to retain that. Mm-hmm. Um, just to stick to who he was before the accident. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing I really liked, first of all, Luke Cage. Yes. Yes. That was, was brilliant. 
Like, like, come on, I call a spade a spade. I, I just, I love that. I don't need to see Luke Cage in the series. I really don't. But no. acknowledgement of who he is, it's just, it, it was cool. It was very cool. It was a very cool moment, and I, I love the way they, even early, even last season with with Bridget, and even earlier this season with Bridget talking about New York and with Misty Knight. I mean, it's, it's again, it reminds us how interconnected these, this universe is to the larger Marvel universe, but it, but the way they use Luke Cage and the, and talking it, you know, to your point about Ty's confidence when he was talking to the kid mm-hmm. in the, in the shop about education and everything. Yes. I, you're probably right. Ty's track now probably will change that. He, will not go the traditional route that he was originally going to go on. But at the same time, he still sees the value of, of education and, and use using Luke as a way to like say, kid, learn how to read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I just love that scene. I mean, there was so many elements to that. Not only the, the, the major Easter egg drop of Luke and what Luke stands for, but also how Ty uses that to help that kid out. Yeah. But the kid had the best line of the episode, not Ty. The the kid did because the kid says some things you can't fix. And just because it's broke doesn't mean it's broke. Right. Like, like there is some real wisdom in that. And I think it gets to the true nature of the show and what the show's about. And it is really reminiscent of the classic Barry Allen, Jay Garrick scene. In a coffee shop talking about time travel. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. you can fix these things, but there's still always going to be a crack. So, yep. yep. You can put, I, that, put it all back together again, make it okay, but the scar will remain. Yeah. And I think that, and I think getting to how that played out in this episode, Ty's resolution with the drug trade in New York and in, in New Orleans was that. Mm-hmm. He realized that he can't solve it all. And it can't go away. But if you stop using these drugs to manipulate people, you won't get any issues from me. Right, right, right. You, because you can't, you can't stop it from happening altogether. Mm-hmm. But you can stop when it when it goes beyond that. Right, right. And I think that's why this show is works so well for me because it it really does. You, it shows the limitations of these quote unquote superheroes and that they can't solve all the world's problems. And, and so it's a very grounded thing. And, and even, even our Arrowverse shows when they work well, like you said, with Jay Garrick and, and Barry's conversation in a coffee shop, those are the, those are the things that make these shows really work very well when they, when they drop those streets like that. And, and they really did, as you said, this, the kid had the best line of this episode. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Tyrone and Barry Allen are really similar. I mean, even throwing Oliver Queen there. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they're all the same gender, but they also are very stubborn in their ability to fix things. Yes, yes. Fair Rather much. than like the proactive solution, it's just about fixing the, the situation or what your upbringing is or the problem at hand. And, and I think Tyrone, he he wants i mean what he was doing in the first episode in terms of getting all the money he was he, 
there was a confidence, but there was also he was going about it the wrong way. Like even yeah. Bridget called himself him out on and he's like, yeah. no, you don't understand. You keep messing with these investigations. And so now he's circled back around and realized he can still help. He just also there he has to go about it in a very different way um, due to who he is and what he represents. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I have to, yeah. So I know you said earlier Ty was taking a back seat this season. I, I don't think he did. The more we talk about it, I think it, it, his story was not as in your face as far as his 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 arc, as far as growing it and to understand what we just talked about. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I agree. Maybe back seat was the wrong phrasing for it. I still think that it was. A lot of it is is focused on Tandy just because she's that quick access point to Andre yeah. and because he was the big bad. True. But true. but it is true that as we discuss it more, Tyrone has had his own journey to walk this season. I mean, I'm surprised we didn't get a scene between him and Evita. She just married herself to Vea. Yeah. Uh, well, well, but we did have that moment there at the end of the last episode, though, where they did have she did have that very icy look at Ty when she because, yeah. you know, she did have she had goals of going to med school. And now because of the deal that she made to to save Ty and Tandy, uh, she now can't do that. Yeah, yeah. it's And and it's also interesting how everything always gets connected back to the rock sod explosion. Yep. And, and so they keep using that, but they're not using it in a way where I'm like suddenly like, yes, it, there was an explosion. It happened. Like it's, it's this subtle plot point that they're allowed to use as really a gateway for all of these things to start happening, mm-hmm. but it, it's also not in your face too much. Right. Right. Good point. Very good point. All right. Well, that is it, I think, for us today. Will, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yes, you can find me at Will M. Polk, that's W-I-L-L-M-P-O-L-K. And you can find me on Twitter at, at SJ Belmont, S-J-B-E-L-M-O-N-T. Please follow our crew on Twitter at Scene and Nerd. Friend us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. But most importantly, rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Spotify. Good night, geek out. You're welcome. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.